Now we're going to read through our scripture, which is super pumped for this. Looks like we're starting our journey through Hebrews. And so if you want to turn to page 1001, if you're using the Red Pew Bibles, uh, we're going to read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. It's the word of the Lord. Hebrews. We are um, going to embark on a, a near, new series in Hebrews. Maybe some of you wonder how do we come to these uh, decisions as to how we decide like what book of the Bible to preach through next. Um, a lot of it has to do with just the pastoral care that is provided um, here. Uh, so Nate and I will, will talk about what's been going on. Uh, so this last season, we've actually been receiving a lot of questions in regards to Christology and in regards to soteriology. Um, so that's why we, we kind of prayed about it and said, you know, I think we got to go through a series in Hebrews because a lot of these questions that we're receiving, people are asking, and hopefully Hebrews can address that for them. Nobody knows definitively who wrote the book of Hebrews. There are guesses, but nobody knows definitively uh, who wrote it or who it's even addressed to because the, the title Hebrews actually didn't even come, late, come until later after the book was written and somebody and people gathered together and thought like, hey, um, we need a title for this book because there's like untitled book. Most likely it was early, early uh, Jews who became Christians and so they kind of probably got together and said like, Hebrews is cool. Like, why don't we just call it Hebrews? And like, yeah, Hebrews it is. And so that's, that's what it is. So a lot of the background information to the book of Hebrews is, is actually pretty unclear. So we're not going to focus on the unclear stuff. We're going to focus on the more clear stuff, which is the content of the book itself. And so when we're looking at the book of Hebrews, you'll notice that the book of Hebrews is, is full of promises and it's full of warnings. Now, sometimes people will overemphasize one over the other. They will, pour, they will pour more time and resource into the promise or they'll pour more time into the warnings. Um, I'm going to try to present both, but I, I may be guilty of the same thing as we're going along this sort of stuff. Uh, but I'm going to try to present both of those things. Um, because they're, they're both really important topics and both really important for us to, to recognize. Now, the biggest warning in the entire book of Hebrews is found in chapter 2, verse 1, and it reads this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And it seems to me that this is the, the greatest warning in the entire book of Hebrews is this drifting away from God. The author confronts readers with this refusal to hear God's words and his warnings. And so we'll look at this verse in greater detail um, in a couple of weeks. It's in, found in chapter 3. It's chapter 3, verse 15. And, and when we get to chapter 3 in a couple of weeks, we'll look at this in more detail. But I want to read it for you. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. 
Now that is quoting out of Psalm chapter 95, verses 7 through 8. And in that psalm, it is speaking of the Israelites' rebellion, of their disobedience, of their sin that made it so that they were unable to enter into Canaan, the promised land, because of their unbelief. So in Hebrews, the author is confronting us with the question, will, will you end up like the Israelites who were rebellious, who were sinful, who were disobedient, who were unbelieving, and it made it unable for them to enter into God's promise? Are you going to be like that? Now, a lot of people started with this optimistic beginning because they had this beautiful promise but how did most of those Israelites end up? And this is a really important point to get across because it's not as important how you start off. It's more important how you finish. So we see here that all those Israelites started with great promise. But then you notice by the end of it how few really entered into the promised land. Moses himself didn't enter, only his bones but he himself didn't go. It's Joshua and Caleb that lead them in. And so you see how few enter in. Let's continue on with Hebrews 3 in, in that story, starting in verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Think about this. It's 600,000 people who perished in the wilderness. They did not make it in, yet all of them received that promise. Continuing on verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. They start out on this journey, God put them on, and along the journey, they begin to start drifting away. And, and this very thing is happening today. The author writes this to us so that we don't end up like those Israelites, drifting away from God's promise, from God's warning, from his word, and then they die in the wilderness because of that disobedience, that unbelief in what the word of God is saying, in what they've heard. Now understand that the 600,000 perished because of their unbelief, and all of them I think, made professions of faith. All of them would say that they were God-fearers, that they were God-followers. All 600,000 would probably confess that. But they didn't heed the warning. They didn't believe in the promise. And so you go back to chapter 2, verse 1 again, and, and the author writes, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. See, it is possible for us to drift away. Otherwise, he wouldn't have written this. And all 600,000 of those who entered into that promise perished because they didn't believe. They were disobedient. They were rebellious to the word of God. And this is a word of warning to those of us who profess a faith in Jesus Christ. This is not for an unbeliever. This is not for someone who doesn't take this faith as something of their own. You take a, a look at these other verses in Hebrews, and it's, it's scary. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 6. And we are his house if, if, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. 
You notice these conditional words there. Skip down to verse 12. Take care. See, this is an active work that we are to do. Take care. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You'll be led away if you don't take care. There's conditions there. It doesn't just happen. And so you see these conditional warnings, if, take care. It's not just, you know, I, 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 I'm here and then that's it. I'm done. I, I'm, I'm cool. I'm good with God forever. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And our relationship with God is dynamic, just like any other loving relationship in your life, whether it's with your spouse or your children or your parents or your friends. It is dynamic. It is living. It is real time, just like your relationship with God in that there's a continual loyalty. There's a continual allegiance to that relationship. It's the same with God. And yet we all know people who have drifted, don't we? That they've made these confessions of faith or they started out a certain way and then you look at them now and it's, it's, it's not there anymore. People who started out with promise, but then like the 600,000 somewhere along the line in that 40 years of wandering, no longer. And these conditional warnings continue in Hebrews. Those aren't the only ones. You go down to chapter 6, skip over to chapter 6 starting in verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. You see how this is active, it's dynamic. Show, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You exercise those things. Chapter 12, verse 25, this is the last one I'll do before we we head, head back into the beginning of Hebrews. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Dynamic, active. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will, be, will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. How often did those Israelites think about going back to Egypt? So like us, how often do we feel like going back to how it was for us? How we used to be, how we used to live, how things used to be for us. How often do we think about living in the past? And we just, we just forget so quickly that, you know, God has done amazing things in our life and he's delivered us from all these different situations and, and we praised him at that time. Things were so great at the time. But then how long does it take until we just start grumbling about it again? Right? Oh, God, thank you for that job. And then like a month later, man, I hate this place. I wish I had another job. You know, it's just so fast. We are just like the Israelites. For example, Exodus 15, right? If you look at Exodus 15, they are singing the praises of God for delivering from the slavery in Egypt. They are so happy. And then how long did it take for them to start grumbling? One chapter. Could you just flip it over to 16? And the very first thing it says there, verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. It is that quick. Yay, God. Oh, God, this sucks. Like, oh, I don't hate this stuff. We're the same way. Where God delivers us from something. We praise him, and then we don't like how God is delivering, and then we grumble, and then we start blaming people. Right? We start blaming people. Oh, pastor so-and-so did that. Oh, those elders do that. This church makes these decisions. I can't believe that committee. And all this kind of stuff. We just start doing that sort of stuff. 
And then people want to go backwards. I wish we were how we were before. I wish we did the things that we did the way we did before. And I wish we had those people here. And I wish all this stuff. And, and we start grumbling. And it starts holding us back to actually where God is moving us forward. And it's this unbelief of what God has ahead of us that will cause us to die in this wilderness and never experience the promise that he has ahead of us. Is this you? Is this you? Is there something holding you back from moving ahead with God? Whatever that is. Is there something? Are you drifting away because of disobedience? Unbelief? Sometimes these people can seem to be like the most godly people. But they're actually the ones that are drifting away the quickest. Because you think about it the 600,000 people who perished in the wilderness, don't you think some of them were like you and me? Some of them believed God, that they were doing the right thing, that they were exactly where they were supposed to be with God, that they, they totally thought that they were right. But where did they end up? Perished in the wilderness without promise. They drifted. Why? Prideful. Right? Overly confident in thinking that, you know, I'm right for believing what I believe, for standing up for what I stand up for, for doing what I do, and yet being rebellious to what the Word of God says. And so overconfident about who they were, what they were doing, what they know. And so this is a warning for us, church, to listen to this because this is for us. This is for us who think we're on the right track. We're doing the right things. We believe the right things. We know the right things. Be careful. Pay attention that you don't drift. You look at chapter 4, verse 1. It reads this of Hebrews. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. It's active. Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And so this is a warning to those of us who are close to God. That our faith is to be active, that, that we are to live this out. It's not something that's just stuck in our head, that's just for something for us to, to think about. It's something for us to be persistent with until the end. Hebrews is written to drifters. It is written to potential drifters like you and me. How do we ensure that we don't drift away? And it goes back to chapter 2, verse 1 again. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard. So what have you heard? Hopefully if you've been here a while, it's the word of God. That's, that's why we teach and preach the way that we do. To obey its commands, to heed its warnings, to accept its promises, to live out what we hear. When a person drifts from God, there is always, always a drift from the word. They go hand in hand. Whenever you drift from God, it's drifting from the word of God. And so there's this resistance to God's word or an, or an ignoring or a rejection of God's word that leads us to a disobedience, a rebellion. So what have we heard? And so here's where we'll start Hebrews chapter 1, as I hope you hear these things. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There is a ton of Christology in here. There's seven things that we're going to look at just in these three verses. So, in Jesus Christ, we are given the final word about the last days. And if anyone ever wants to know anything about the future of the world, all they need to know is who Jesus is. And then these three verses inform us of who Jesus Christ is. And so here's the first one, heir of all things. You look to Luke chapter 1, verses 32 through 33, and it reads this. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You look at John chapter 16, verse 15. All that the Father has is mine. Heir of all things. He owns it all. Whatever people believe about Jesus outside of Christianity, it's usually smaller a smaller belief than Jesus owns everything. They usually believe something smaller than that, right? And it, it is all his. This is all Jesus Christ. And this is really important for us to hear because if there's any doubt about the future, that we can rest assured that all of this is Jesus's. It's all his. That, you know, you and I really don't have to worry. We don't have to scheme. We don't have to plot we don't have to do political maneuvering because it's all his. So wherever this ends up, he's still in control. This is his. He's the heir of all things. Second thing, through whom also he created the world. So all things created for him and by him. John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Are our minds submitted to God's word? Is it all that hard for us to believe in miracles if God created everything? See, science is subject to the truth of God. We are to submit our trust to Christ through faith, through whom all the world was created. Here's the third thing about Jesus Christ. Verse 3, it's in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the visible, tangible expression of God. And you can read this in Exodus 33. I'll save you the time. You can read that on your own. But all of God's majesty radiates through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So hopefully you're seeing that I'm not making these things up and I'm not just like giving you commentary after I read a verse, that I'm pointing you back to the Word of God to show that that's what the Hebrews author is also kind of going back and forth with, that it's all tied together. Here's the fourth thing. Verse, it's still found in verse 3. And the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God's being. 
that the true, full character of God is made known through Jesus Christ. So what you see in Jesus is exactly what is seen in God. John chapter 14, verse 9. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Here's the fifth thing. Here's So add to your Christology here, and this is kind of why we handed this stuff out, right? Just You can record that on the right column, and then on the left column is really meant for you to think like who Jesus is, and you can write whatever you thought he is. Don't worry about right answers. Just really get to a place where what you heard prevents you from drifting away. Here's the, the fifth one. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus Christ sustains the entire universe. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things held together. And this is what miracles do. Right? The, the miracles show this aspect of God, of Jesus Christ, that he is in control of the universe. It makes no scientific sense. But he upholds the universe. Does that make sense either? Here's the sixth thing. He makes purifications for sins. Now you can skip down further into Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first of his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And then lastly, number seven, seated at the right hand of, of the majesty on high. So seated, showing that that's Jesus Christ's place, that that is rightfully his and that it is completely his. So we need to be really careful about who Jesus is or we will drift away. If we don't have the right thinking of who Jesus Christ is, anything different from what the Word of God says about who Jesus is causes a drift. And Jesus Christ is not who anyone thinks that he is. Jesus Christ is who the Word of God says that he is. This is why those who preach here at Regeneration, we, we ask people who preach here to, to labor in finding out these nuggets from the Word of God before they teach the Word of God so that we can help people from drifting away because this has everlasting significance. What you do here, listening, hearing, understanding, has everlasting significance because you and I know a ton of people who have drifted away, not paying careful enough attention to the Word of God. And whenever we think that we're beyond preaching, we're beyond teaching God's Word, you're susceptible. You're susceptible. You need to pay careful attention. It's just like when you're out in the ocean and you don't think the current's there and you're just hanging out and you just think, and then where are you after like 20 minutes? You can't even find the umbrella that you put up, right? Like, where in the world, where, where are they? You drift if you don't pay attention. There's no way for you to actively work your way back to where you were. You just drift. And we face a lot of pressure to believe that Jesus Christ is anything but God. Much like the first century believers who were confronted about their belief in Jesus Christ. They were made to believe that Jesus was something else other than God. And namely, 
that he was an angel, which is why the latter part of Hebrews is addressed the way it is, and we'll get down to that later. But that, that's why it's, it's like that. They, they want you to believe something else. And so what I found in the Bay Area is that people here are actually really, really spiritually, spiritually uh, aware people. They, they want to talk about spirituality, but then when you talk to them about Jesus, it's just kind of like clumped into everything else. And so then it's just Jesus is just like every other spiritual person that you can name. But the word of God teaches us differently. That is not truth. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is prophet, priest, and king, according to verses 1 through 3, who has full divine power and authority. And the Christology continues here in verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name as he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. And this is where the author of Hebrews gets into this angels talk because this is what they were dealing with in that people were just trying to clump Jesus into another divine being like an angel. This is why this was written in Hebrews. The early church is confronted with this stuff. So the author is distinguishing Jesus from this held belief that angels often delivered the law of God, but then Jesus fulfilled the law of God. That angels ruled nations, but Jesus rules the universe. And he's trying to make these distinctions. Let's go on to verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Again, distinguishing Jesus Christ from angels. But, but, but before we look at the rest of these verses, something to keep in mind is that all of these sayings are from the Old Testament. You'll notice in your Bibles they're put in quotations. And the reasons why is that the author of Hebrews is actually going back to the Old Testament and pulling from the Old Testament what is he's saying to say, I'm not making this stuff up. The word of the law, the word already says these things and I'm pulling them forward. Now, you're going to notice that sometimes the, the quotes aren't word for word, and that's because the translations are different. The author of Hebrews is using the Septuagint. He is using the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So if you're going directly to a Hebrew translation or, or a Hebrew Old Testament versus a Greek translated test, Septuagint translation, it's going to be different. And so that's just something I'm laying out for you because you're going to look back and forth and you're like, hey, this isn't exactly the same. It's not because they're using a different translation. That's why that's happening. Okay, so here are the seven quotes that this author of Hebrews is using. He's pulling from the Old Testament. I won't go through every single Old Testament reference because it's going to take a lot of time. I'll just do most of them. Okay, and so Here's what's distinguishing Jesus from angels. First quote is from verse 5. It is quoting Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, and this is a messianic psalm. It is not addressed to angels. That Jesus was not created, nor did he become the Son of God. He was always, eternally, the Son. Mark chapter 1, verse 11. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And this is a declaration to this truth and to this baptism. Luke chapter 9, verse 35. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So another declaration from God as to who Jesus is, this time at the transfiguration. The second quote is from verse 5. Uh, from verse 5 is from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. A promise that was fulfilled in Jesus. Now going to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. 
And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So here's the thinking. If angels worship Jesus Christ, then they are subservient to him. Angels are the messengers, but Christ is the message. Angels are the servants, but Jesus is the heir. He is the son. Moving on to verses 8 and 9. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of the kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This is from Psalm chapter 45, verses 6 and 7. This is a wedding psalm. This is a wedding psalm from uh, addressing the Davidic line. And so this is the context of the author. That the fulfillment of this is through Jesus Christ. It is not through angels. That through Jesus Christ, through that Davidic line, the kingdom of God is a righteous kingdom. And the children of the king are to love righteousness and they are to hate wickedness. Verses 10 through 12. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Here's the sixth Old Testament quote. This one comes from Psalm chapter 102, verses 25 through 27, and the psalmist here is referring to Messiah. Messiah, and as we now, as we have the resurrection and the ascension, and now we're waiting for the return, we have more complete of a story that we can connect all these dots, and we see that from this psalm, all of this is pointing to Jesus Christ, the Son. The Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. I'm hoping you're seeing this as well, because the author of Hebrews is trying to point that out as he's breaking these things down. And that the things of the world, they change, but Jesus Christ does not change. Verse 13, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? See, an, an angel doesn't have that position. Only the Son of God has that rightful position. It's, it's a position reserved for the Son who finished that work on earth. Last verse here. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? See, our salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. And Jesus Christ is God, not some other ministering spirit that is sent out, that is sent out to help like an angel. All of us have uh, concerns about our future. We always have worries, right? It's, it's a normal, normal thing. But we also have to remember who we worship, who we follow, who's in control. The God who has called us by name and is the good shepherd who knows his sheep. And understanding these things and knowing these things, all those seven things about who Jesus Christ is, all those seven things that distinguish Jesus Christ from some divinic character or some angel with spiritual powers or things like that. All those things, as we hear these things, hopefully they prevent us from straying, drifting away because we understand who Jesus Christ is. 
And so it should change how we pray. It should influence how we make decisions, how we view the world, how we live our life. Hebrews 1 transforms those of us who actually heed these promises, who actually heed these warnings. For those of us who struggle with that, ignore that, I think we already know our path in accordance to Exodus, that 600,000 people perished who had a profession of faith to God, but yet never entered into the promise. So my hope as someone who's just teaching out of the word of God this morning is that we aren't victim to drifting away from the word of God, that we stay true to it because we know that that gate is narrow. Let's pray. God, I do ask that um, our church has heard. I don't know if anyone has. Um, That's the hope and that's the prayer. I pray, God, that um, we're changed by it, that we we aren't drifting away uh, from it. And would you work in our hearts and our spirits so that we can pay closer attention to the word of God. And God, for those who um, are drifting away, I pray for mercy, that they would be brought back into the fold. As you are so patient to work with us, we thank you for your grace and your mercies in Jesus' name. Amen.